Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Marco. Sean, can you hear it? I, I think I can hear it. I just don't know what it is yet. Yeah, it's coming it, from far away. It's unidentified. <laughs> it's unidentified. <laughs> but it seems like it's an audio signal, which it is a good is thing. It is an audio signal. It is an audio signal. But uh, we, have to, we have to dissect it and analyze it to figure out what the signal is telling us. Ah, there's a code in there. We got to break the code. Yeah, what, what the source is, who's, who's it destined for, or what's it destined for. And, uh, and I'm assuming it's coming from space. Uh, we, we could assume it's coming from space. Doesn't have to be, but maybe it's heading to space. That, that there are some. Or, or, is it, or is it all just space and, and we're ignorant humans and don't realize it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely send signal to space. And the question for someone is, are people ignoring it? Well, I say people, but yeah, let's say people for now. We'll, we'll talk about other kind of life later on <laughs> in the conversation. But one of the theories that they actually, yeah, they know we're here, but they don't really care. And maybe, maybe we'll talk about that too. And uh, this is audio signal, Sean. Let's stop uh, confusing our audience. I'm messing around with our audience. And yeah. uh, let's, let's bring our guest on. I'm, I'm thrilled to have on. Uh, it was a tweet that I saw that inspired me to say. A tweet that I, you heard? Or you saw? A tweet that I read. <laughs> I, didn't, it, I didn't have it read for me. And there was no signal there. Uh, well, I guess it was a, a, a visual written signal. But uh Anyway, I saw this tweet about I could talk for hours about aliens in space. And I'm like, perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> I can <laughs> listen for hours about it. Yes, that. exactly. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk about aliens in space and technology with hopefully somebody will be a good friend because I want to have many conversations, I suspect. Jasmine Singh, who happens to be a senior uh, at Purdue University and also has an internship at NASA. Jasmine, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Marco and Sean. Thanks so much for having me. So this, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. So we have to start at the beginning. So first, let's hear a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. So mm -hmm. I often joke, I, my story starts at being hatched. So our <laughs> audience are probably tired of me saying that, but 
you can start wherever you want. Mm -hmm. um, what are you up to? Yeah, so I have always loved space, like as far back as I can remember. I think it all started in my earth science class when we learned about the planets for the first time. I was really excited. Um, there was so much mystery and so much beauty within space and science in itself. Um, and from then, it just kind of snowballed into something huge. Um, I would always look at the stars, look at the moon at night, and just kind of ask myself so many questions. And, you know, the types of questions that a kid would ask, like, is there anyone out there? Is someone looking back at me when I'm looking at them? You know, those types of questions. Um, but, you know, those are the questions that we're actually seeking to answer today. And so ever since then, you know, I did a ton of research into astronomy just because I got super passionate. I bought a ton of books, um, read them. I watched videos, that type of deal, because, you know, we weren't learning about it in school. And I was so interested. That I was like, I have to do my own research. Um, and then when it came time to apply to college, I thought that I wanted to go into aerospace engineering. Um, but then I quickly realized before I applied um, that that wasn't actually my passion. I, I realized I wanted to study the bodies that the planets or that the rockets go to, um, not actually build the rockets themselves. Um, so that led me down the path to planetary science, um, which you can guess by the name is just a study of planets and moons and bodies um, in space. So I major in planetary science and I have a double major in atmospheric science, um, which is just a fancy way of saying meteorology. And the reason I chose atmospheric science is because uh, planetary science is such an interdisciplinary field, such a broad field. You can do literally anything. Um, so I wanted to really specify my studies. And when I got to school, I took one atmospheric science class because that was a requirement. So it was either atmospheric science or geology. And I chose atmospheric science and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, weather has always been cool to me. Um, storms and tornadoes and hurricanes have been cool to me. So I thought, why not? And when I took it, I was like, Hey, I think I could study this too. And so I met with my advisor and we talked about it. Um, and we found out that that was a good route for me because I originally thought I wanted to minor in astronomy. So she said, why not double major? So I decided to double major in atmospheric science and study planetary atmospheres um, because I've always found weather on other planets fascinating as well um, because it's so extreme compared to Earth. We have no idea what's going on on half of the planets. Yeah, um, we're we're starting to to see now that we can explore, and and we know that there is atmosphere and weather mm -hmm. pattern pattern all over the places. But before we dig more into that, I I do have a question because you Go said, ahead. yeah, it, it's still about your background and how you got inspired. Because you say mm -hmm. you always look at the moon at the stars and, mm -hmm. and 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 wanted to do that. But was it someone or something in your life as a as a child that? inspired you more than anything like somebody in the family a book that you read maybe even a movie that you saw um anything like that made you click um i really do think i mean i think my sixth grade teacher might have had a hand in it um because she was the one that taught the earth science class and she was just really nice and chill and 
um, <laughs> really made the subject super interesting. I remember doing a project about Saturn, uh, which used to be my favorite planet. <laughs> um, and I don't know, it just went from there. But my family has always been super supportive. They they weren't the type to push me into a certain field. They They saw that once I had my interests, they were like, you know, she, you should pursue that, you know, go chase your dreams. And they have just been so supportive since then. Love it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. continuing my story. Um, so I wanted to study planetary atmospheres because they're so interesting. They're so diverse. Uh, we don't know what's going on, you know, some of the further out planets um, in the solar system. Um, so that's why I chose that. And then and then from there, I've kind of also delved into the field of astrobiology, um, which is the search for life in the solar system and beyond and stuff like that. And it's also um, the study of the origin of life. A lot of people in astrobiology want to know how life emerged on Earth. Um, but I am really interested in searching for life as well. So I'm hoping to kind of combine the two fields and um, maybe search for life in the atmospheres of other planets or stuff like that. Um, so I'm really passionate about aliens and <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> well, I love it. And I mean, uh, we're, we're recording this on a Saturday last night was uh, a buck moon. I didn't know what a buck moon was. I saw it on the news. I went outside. It's a full moon in July. Mm -hmm. I love photography. I took a few photos and I found that, I mean, I'm up in the mountains, but depending on where you were, you, you get certain differences in atmosphere and, and then i saw a post on twitter where i don't know if it's real or not maybe you can confirm where it said on on the blue planet the sunset's red and on the red planet the sunset's blue and all that to me says that there's different atmospheres around between um on i don't know talk to me a little bit and i know marco really wants to get to the islands as do i mm -hmm. but talk to me about the atmosphere <laughs> first because I think we, we tend to look at our own planet and then we tend to look at the other planet. And as you said, the means to get from one to the other, and there's this space between, right. Mm -hmm. And some, some master or some billionaires uh, <laughs> explored some of that space close to earth, not too long ago, but talk to me about the space and why is that both interesting and important to understand? Yeah. So space is really important to understand and explore because you know that's how we emerged on earth that's why people are trying to figure out you know wh why are we here how did we get here you know asking those philosophical questions but also they are scientific in a way um and i think it's super important that we explore space and fun space exploration um i won't go into my opinions about billionaires going into space but you know i definitely think space exploration should be accessible to a lot of people. I think it, it'd be great to have just flights going up there and people just seeing the earth from that perspective. I think it can really change people and make them realize how small we truly are um, and how beautiful this planet really is, how lucky we are to be here. Um, even though I definitely don't think we're alone, we can get into that in a bit, but um, I think space exploration is super important to really understand our place in the cosmos, why we're here, you know, what's, what else is out there. Yeah. And I connect with that. I, I watch a lot, everything really about space. I, I'll watch it in documentary or listen 
too. And and they talk often the people that spend a lot of time, astronauts, of course, uh, the International Space Station, and they even orbit around the planet, how their entire perspective change. Mm-hmm. It's like psychologically something kick in, mm-hmm. and they just see the planet as a completely different thing. And I quote Carl Sagan a lot about that that pale blue dot mm-hmm. that uh, that is really inspiring and really put us in place. Well, not really, because we're even smaller than that, of course. But uh, you know, in the universe where we think on our planet, that everything rotates on around our, ourself and our planet in reality, not even close, right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a very mind uh, opener, and we should have that. But mm-hmm. th- now I'm getting philosophical. So let's go back. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to 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 what you were talking about, and I actually even the question that. The Sean had about the, the different atmosphere and different planets and, and mm-hmm. how, I don't know, I, I, honestly, it's all connected, mm-hmm. right? When you study space, uh, you, you, you look at a planet, you need, you need to be an expert almost in everything from geology, as you said, to weather, mm-hmm. to chemistry and, and all of the above. So how did you pick certain things versus others? Yeah, so... I've I found storms and everything interesting on Earth, and so atmospheric science uh, focuses on Earth, obviously meteorology and that type of thing. So we already know a lot of these things, but we can use our own planet as a way to study the other planets. Um, so it was good for me to combine the two majors because, in one hand, I'm learning about weather on Earth, and then the other hand, I'm learning about other planets and other uh, you know aspects about other planets. So I can kind of combine the two and see how we learn about those things um and it's really useful um you know these these missions that we have going out um in studying other planets um they're collecting very valuable data about the atmospheres and uh the rocks and everything from the the rovers to juno to cassini um so i'm i'm super excited to get into this and study these types of things i actually do undergrad research um but my undergrad research revolves around um, exoplanet atmospheres. Um, so I'm kind of getting into the exoplanet field as well, which is relatively new, um, but we are making so many good discoveries in that field. We've discovered over like 4,000 exoplanets and counting. And this field has only been around since the nineties, I believe. I could be wrong, um, but I, I love it too. <laughs> so I'm, as you're describing all this stuff, I'm thinking, how do you, how do you keep it all straight? How do you soak it all in? Because mm-hmm. there's so much in each one. I, I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine in many cases even. Um, so t- tell me a little bit about how you do the research. And maybe, maybe some of the work you're doing with NASA ties into this as well. Mm-hmm. Is it field by field? Or are you looking at scenarios that happened across multiple disciplines? What, what kind of projects are you working on? How, what, tell me a little bit about that so I can mm-hmm. kind of get a sense for what you're doing every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the work that I'm doing in school, um, it's all computer-based. Um, my work in school and my work at NASA. Hopefully um, I can be in the lab in the fall, um, but we're going to see with how things are going with COVID. Um, but my work in school revolves around um, using the WARF model, which is the weather research and forecasting model, and putting in some input parameters, um, atmospheric parameters, and just changing them and seeing how that 
changes the output parameters for um, different atmospheric variables and seeing when um, water-based precipitation forms in rocky um, exoplanet atmospheres. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then my work at NASA is like totally different. Um, it is machine learning, um, which I have never had experience in machine learning, but I found it interesting. Um, and so I'm using machine learning model, um, a climate model, and I am trying to improve that model. And climate models are super important, obviously. We, we need them to understand what's going to happen to our climate, you know, how humans are affecting it, that type of deal. Um, so I'm working on that, um, but I'm also working on an exoplanet climate model, um, which is my main focus. And so that one is the one I'm really interested in because that one we are trying to simulate exoplanet environments and see which ones are, are more habitable. Um, and that type of deal. So I'm trying to improve these machine learning models. It's really cool. And I was going to ask you what you. what the purpose is, because there's there's research for the sake of research, right? We just want to collect information, analyze it, understand what we're seeing, maybe compare Earth to others. But what's the real goal? Is it to improve the atmosphere and, and life on earth or is it to find opportunities elsewhere on other planets where we could uh, potentially live or to see if there is other life what, what's what's the goal or is it all of those <laughs> yeah i would say it's kind of a handful of everything um so the the earth climate model um is focused on climate change obviously and how humans are impacting the environment how you know what kind of effects we could see in the future if we, you know, continue at a certain rate. Um, spoiler alert, they're not good. Um, and then the exoplanet model is more focused on, you know, finding life on other planets. What life, what planets would be conducive to conditions that could um, harbor life. Um, so there, there, it's kind of a mix of everything. All right, let's let's get into aliens' life. Come on, yeah. I've been I've been very patient now. <laughs> so actually, I was looking at your website, and you have some some blogs about it. You go through the question if aliens are ignoring us, which I kind of mentioned at the beginning. Mm -hmm. What if we're not alone in the universe? You bring the, the the zoo theory, and of course, one of the one that I am a, myself kind of a fan. It's because I find it kind of makes sense to me is the panspermia idea mm -hmm. that life of course exists somewhere else i mean how mm -hmm. can it not that's yeah. my point so let's talk about that like why are you fascinated by that and mm -hmm. uh, and what are your thoughts about it yeah um so as i mentioned earlier i've always been looking at the stars and the moon from as far back as i can remember and i would you know ask the questions that a typical kid would ask I guess is you know I'd look at the moon I'd be like what if someone's up there obviously I was I was little so <laughs> didn't know about the moon landing or anything um but you know I'd be like what if someone's up there and they're looking back at me you know and that can kind of snowball into bigger questions about uh, other planets and stars and whatnot but you know I was just asking the typical kid questions um but those questions led me to really think about life beyond earth um and you know we talk about aliens as you know we we joke we talk about the pop culture like green martian looking thing um but i think you know even microbes 
are aliens, you know? And so we talk about the icy moons in the outer solar system that have oceans that might have microbes in them. Um, and so those are aliens too. We always think about intelligent life, but we don't think about microbial life as being aliens, as being life. Um, like if we didn't come from that? <laughs> yeah, as if we didn't come from that too. Yeah, you're right. Sean. Yes. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, no. So I, I think do we as a society, are we not focusing on the right thing? Then Do we only care if it's human-like, then it doesn't matter? I guess did the general population not really understand what's possible and what what it is and why it matters yeah i feel like it might be a, a lack of information to the public but i hope that you know with future missions such as the europa clipper dragonfly the jupiter icy moons explorer like i hope missions like that that are going out to these icy bodies and searching for habitable conditions and possibly life um i hope these can kind of open the public's eyes to seeing that we might not be alone. I mean, I definitely don't think we are, but you know what I mean? Um, we might not be the only ones in the solar system, um, which can open up questions about the rest of the universe um, and the possibilities for that. Um, so I'm super excited, but you know, the odds of intelligent life, if I, if I were to go into that, they are very small um, based on, calculations that people have done which i don't know how people do calculations on that i know there's the very famous drake equation um but the drake equation has a lot of variables that we cannot calculate because they're just hypothetical things like how many intelligent civilizations have evolved how many of those civilizations can communicate you know like these are variables we cannot calculate so we don't actually know the answer to that equation I'm wondering if, if you have a sense for, and there was a comment made by one of the, one of the billionaires that we, we could offload all the nasty, disgusting mm -hmm. manufacturing <laughs> to, to, yeah, off of Earth, to somewhere else. So I'm wondering, my question is, do we run the risk of making a negative impact? to space by taking our existing mindset and existing technologies and transferring them there mm -hmm. and or do we need to kind of re rethink everything uh, as we begin to branch out off of earth yeah i've thought about this too and people always joke about you know humans will pollute everything you know we have a lot of space junk as you call it you know orbiting earth which is mostly satellites um and I guess a car too, <laughs> because of Elon Musk. But you know, yep. people you yeah, people, there. <laughs> exactly. People always say we have a lot, we are pollute everything. Um, so that is a thing that I've thought about, you know, because are we if we send out stuff to other planets, like I guess the rovers are a good example. Like if there's life on Mars or whatever, are the rovers kind of bringing our biological stuff and taking it over there and messing with that. So that's always been a thing very important for me to understand is like, we don't want to, um, we don't want to mess up the biological ecosystem of these planets. If there's anything there, because if we bring our stuff there, that's contamination, you know? Um, so that is really something that I hope people can look more into um, and hope that we don't mess up 
everything, <laughs> which I guess seems to be a common theme. You know, we're messing up our own planet. Let's go mess up some other ones. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Let's the bring first snakes book. and black widows <laughs> everywhere with us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, on the other hand, it it could be the other way around. And I'm gonna go back to the panspermia theory mm -hmm. where even life on Earth is coming from from another planet. So mm -hmm. maybe we're not that special. It's just that the condition is right here. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I go here, and, and of course, before we end, you have to talk about the, 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 the zoo theory because oh, I, I think love, yes. that's fascinating <laughs> yes. and a big lesson maybe for, you know, not only sci-fi fans, but for everyone. Mm -hmm. But the, the, how the instruments, the technology that there is now, like you said, you talk about the exoplanet and how so many planets have been discovered lately. Mm -hmm. Where are we with technology and, and in terms of acceleration to discover more and more? And how do you see these developing as well? It's, uh, it's like growing exponentially, of course. Mm -hmm. But uh, what's the most fascinating thing from a technology perspective that the, the NASA and, and, and you are using right now? Yeah, I think the technology is incredibly fascinating. Um, it's it's crazy to me that we can just use these telescopes and kind of see a planet like orbiting its star and, you know, see those little dips and, you know, see that, okay, there's something there. And we, we know that that's a planet because X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's so fascinating to me because of how big space is, you know, it's so far away, but we can still detect that from Earth and consider that a discovery. And there was a discovery a couple days ago about um, that there was a moon forming disc around exoplanets and which is so cool because we haven't really delved into the field of exomoons, I guess they're called. Um, so that's, that's leading to something new. And then of course we have the upcoming, hopefully upcoming <laughs> James Webb telescope that everybody's super excited about because that's completely going to change the field of exoplanet science. And I really hope that we can make some good discoveries about, you know, the atmospheres. That's a huge thing. And hopefully one day, I don't know when this will be, but hopefully get a picture of an exoplanet. You know, that's, that's good to me. I mean, we've gotten some pictures, but I mean like a picture that's not just like a dot like a small dot you know maybe something a little better i was saying yeah. I, have a, I have a picture of one yeah <laughs> you, you can't see it but I have. of course <laughs> yeah it's incredible when i i mean i'm not a science uh, mm -hmm. in terms of you know space science and more like the human brain type mm -hmm. of guy but i am so fascinated by all of that that when i was trying to understand how uh, infrared astronomy works and how you can detect all the particles and you can mm -hmm. tell the composition of a planet just by looking at the you know the, the range of colors mm -hmm. right that, yep. you, <laughs> that you see in it and then I've been lucky enough to see the Galileo's uh, telescope in, in, in a museum in Italy and to think that it was able you know in the 1600 to to look at the discover the Jupiter moons with that piece of <laughs> lenses exactly. that he had at the time right yeah so it's fascinating to think how far we've gone from that how far it took to get there and how mm -hmm. long it took to get there and and there's so many opportunity that we may have 
in the future. It's, it's incredible. So I, I want to, let's talk about that, that zoo uh, theory. Of where, course, of course. Because it's, uh, it's really humbling, in <laughs> my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it? What is it? All right. So it kind of starts off with the Fermi paradox, which basically is asking the question of where is everybody? Why haven't we come into contact with everybody? And so the zoo hypothesis is kind of an answer to that, or it attempts to answer that. So it basically, where the name comes from is we are basically being observed like animals in a zoo. Um, which I it's so creepy to think about. Um, so it's basically saying yeah. that aliens are observing Earth, but we, we don't know about that. They're kind of hiding themselves from us. Either they have the technology to do so, or they're just super far away, and they're able to observe us somehow with their technology, and we don't know. And, you know, it's really, really creepy if you think about it. I mean, I guess people have already speculated that, we're being watched and they, they must be very disappointed by what they're seeing. Um, but, but the thing is that they say that they're intentionally doing this. They're intentionally avoiding communication with earth so that they don't interfere with anything that's um, going on on our planet, whether it's natural evolution or our development, um, our cultural development, or they just want to avoid the, um, what I said earlier, the interplanetary chem contamination mm. um so kind of like you know we observe animals at a zoo there's a glass wall in front of them so we don't you know bother them and disturb their natural ecosystem or i guess kind of natural because it's in a zoo but you know their ecosystem we don't interfere with that so they don't interfere with us that that sounds to me sometimes that i think about it it, it justify this kind of glitch in the system which yeah. will be the when we see an identified object mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. like maybe that, yeah, maybe there is a glitch in the, in the way that we, they're keeping us in there and we, yeah. we happen to see that. So there you go. I'm, let's go sci-fi to, to the next level. <laughs> yeah. It, make, it reminds me of uh Jim Carrey movie. Uh, what was it called? Uh, the oh, Truman the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not until the crack in the door. <laughs> was, there, was there a sign? And, let, let's talk about the, I mean, I can talk for hours, but uh, let's, let's go here and then maybe, maybe we can uh, get a final thing. Mm -hmm. Signals. I know this show is called audio signals, not, not meant to be tied to signals to space, but we're going to do it now. Okay. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> More radio. The, so there's, there are signals, right? We're creating them. There mm -hmm. are others, I think, coming from other places is there data in those signals is there data in the data <laughs> do we do we know how to capture are we capturing um, are we sending specifically signals to see if there's some response I'm, I'm interested about signals you did I don't know if you if you follow any of that or, or yeah I, I know the most famous one you guys have probably heard of it is the wow signal um, which was discovered in the late seventies. Um, so, so people were very intrigued by that because they were like, Oh wow. Somebody, somebody kind of responded to us. Um, that's what they think. And I'm not sure if it's been debunked. I think people say that it's, it might've been from a star or a comet or something. Um, but 
it was it, it's really interesting i i think I'm, I'm not a huge expert in it um i only know really about the wow signal and i know that we're trying to send out a bunch of signals and hopefully get something back but i can talk about the limitations of that and how i think our technology is just not at the point where we can really receive anything you know there's a lot of limitations because say we send out a signal right and say we send it to a star that's 20 light years away it'll take 20 light years to get there and then they have to send if there's something there they have to send something back and that they could you know everything's limited by the speed of light so that's going to take 20 more years to come back here you know so i think there's a bunch of limitations in terms of signals and communication i don't know how that can advance in the future um hopefully we can send them out faster than we currently are because obviously nowhere near the speed of light um but it's it's really fascinating to me with um interplanetary communication and that type of aspect and seeing how we can advance that field yeah, I mean, people are learning about that when when you know about the delay we communicated with rovers on Mars, mm -hmm. and, you know. Yep. So that, that there is, we, we had some episode that we we brought it into into the cybersecurity aspect of things where you're like you have to be prepared oh, to, yeah. to 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 drive autonomously, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. you can't just swerve or move or you know you you got into that blackout communication that also we experienced going around the moon with the Apollo oh, yep. mission as well. So it's uh, it's so fascinating, all of this, and and way more than that. Yeah, because like, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that we think we know what signals, how they're structured, how exactly. they're sent, what the re acknowledgement response looks like. It could be completely different out there. Mm -hmm. for what, and maybe hidden or tunneled in something that we can't see or understand who, who the heck knows exactly. just like life <laughs> we, we, we you, you compare everything to us you know we, we make robots yeah. that look like humans they can yeah. be a box right <laughs> i mean we represent aliens with two eyes maybe they have an angular face but that's that's how we represent them and yeah. they may be completely completely different and exactly and if they're looking at us we hope that they're never going to need to make us like a, a highway and the, like the hitch, hitchhiker guide to the universe, we're gonna have, <laughs> we're gonna be obliterated just because the highway has to go through. Yeah, maybe um, maybe they'll respect us a little bit more. <laughs> and the answer is forty-two anyway for those. Of course. <laughs> yeah, um, I have thoughts about. I don't know why. I mean, I guess we kind of have to make everything human centric in a way because it's all we know, you know, so mm -hmm. it's all we know. So we had to make otherworldly beings look like humans as well, because that's all we know. We can't possibly fathom what they could look like. Um, and that's, that's part of the beauty of it that I never mentioned is that there's just so much mystery. We have no idea what they could look like. We have no idea what kind of laws they could have if they're intelligent enough you know to be a civilization what kind of laws they could have you know what kind of languages they could speak like it's so like what kind of forms of communication they use it's so fascinating there's so many questions and i hope at least in my lifetime that we find something or we're close to finding something i know there was a whole phosphine on venus thing there's methane on mars people are still trying to answer those questions but i really hope that we find something even if it's tiny i'll still be happy because that can finally answer the question put it to rest that we're not alone i love it and i had it 
had a question for you. You may have, yeah. you may have suddenly answered it there. What What's more interesting to you or what what's more, what, where's your passion lie? Is it to explore the unknown and to see what you find or to have an idea of what you're looking for and trying to find it in the research that you're doing? Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, it's, it's more of the unknown. I've always been advocating to send missions to the ice giants, Uranus and Neptune, because we haven't really been there since Voyager and that too Voyager didn't even stop at the ice giants. Voyager just flew by, took some pictures. Um, so I always want us to go to places we haven't been before. That's why I'm so excited for the icy moon missions. Um, not only because of the possibility for life and that type of thing, but also because it's the unknown. We haven't really been there. We Cassini like went by a little bit, you know, on Enceladus and that's how we discovered the plumes, you know, erupting from beneath the surface, but nothing really more. And so I'm so excited to send these new missions. You know, there's the upcoming Venus mission. We haven't really gone to Venus either, you know, and that's considered our sister planet. Um, so for me, it's more of the unknown, but obviously, you know, you kind of do want to have some type of idea of what you're looking for and what you expect to find, but it's incredible the questions, the amount of questions that you can ask and kind of the snowball effect that space exploration and aliens can just lead to. Yeah, yeah. And and as I reference often with history, it, the, the discovery has always been part of um, who we are. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we had to cross the ocean to see what was there, took a lot mm -hmm. of risk. And uh, once we figure out and this is, I'm going to break the news that the, the planet is, uh, it's uh, spheric. Yes, yes, flat, thank you. So sorry about that. <laughs> thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, then oh, we, then God. we need, uh, sorry, Sean. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to make the pizza somewhere else now. because It's not flat. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, we, we can't stop that. And I'm not going to go dark in the future of, you know, when, when the, when we will have to eventually leave this planet, no matter what. But yeah. it's, it's just fascinating. And, and as you can tell, I could talk about this forever. Sean, same, you the Oops. same, but we're going to have to give it a, a cut here at about 37 minutes. And honestly, I really enjoy this conversation. Okay. I think it's extremely inspiring for, hopefully for everybody listening as well. And uh, I'd love to have you back if you ever want to of come course. back on the show. Yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't touch on oceans. That uh, oh yes, uh, yes, we didn't touch on a lot of things. There's a lot of things, and, yeah. and still you mentioned storm. I mean, I could, I could spend hours on that too. Yeah, we could we could talk forever. That's for <laughs> sure. And and Jasmine, I I'm so happy that you found the time to do this with us. Thank you. And uh, we will have notes on the podcast with resources uh, to get in touch with you. Maybe something you want to outline on research that you're doing your blog which i find it very very fascinating i love the blog thank you yeah, thank you <laughs> really really cool and uh again thank you so much and keep this energy yes and passion in everything you do because it's really really inspiring yeah thank you for having me thanks jasmine blue lava is the first business platform for cisos to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program 
with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and this story made you think, then share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.